If you're looking to grow from six to seven figures in revenue a year, or seven figures a year in revenue to seven figures a month in your e-commerce business, or if you're feeling like you've plateaued in your e-commerce business, this is the podcast for you. You're listening to the Journey to Eight-Figure Ecom Business Podcast. My name is Emmanuel Alea, founder and CEO of Alea Systems, where we build systems that build brands online and teach e-commerce founders how to go from six figures a year to six figures a month in 90 days or less. I scaled my first e-commerce business from zero to seven figures in two years and seven to eight figures three years later. Since then, we've created an agency to help others recreate the same success, partnering with over 50 e-commerce businesses as clients. In just the last year, we've helped 12 of them go from six figures to seven figures a year in revenue and five of them 10x their businesses going from around 30K a month in revenue to over 300,000 a month in revenue. And we're just getting started. Now, let's be clear. This podcast isn't for everyone, right? This is for e-com folks or business folks who already have an idea. You're already selling, but you're also not funded and using your own cash to grow your business. Bootstrapped, right? You're trying to have a life while also having a business, but feeling the pressure of having to do it all yourself. If these are your struggles, we're here for you, and you're going to get the most value from this podcast. Let's recap. In the first couple of episodes when we started this series, we'd been talking about the first phase of the journey from start to eight figures. We talked about what it looks like to go from side hustle to a full-time income with your e-commerce store. And I really stressed that the most important component is understanding product market fit and validating that you've achieved it while making sure you have a good product margin, six to 10x guys. And in the last episodes, we began talking about the next phase of the journey what it looks like to go from full-time income to hiring a team, right? And we'll be continuing that discussion about that phase in today's episode. In today's podcast episode, we're continuing our discussion about the second phase of the journey, which is going from full-time income to having a staff managing your business for you. And when you reach this point, congratulations are in order. Congrats. Your business has grown too big for you to manage. Yay! But unfortunately, your business has grown too big for you to manage yourself. Now you have to put your trust in other people to handle all those different areas of the business on your behalf while maintaining and making sure they'll maintain it the way you would have done it if you were there. That's tough, right? So today we'll be going over just that, how to hire, who to hire, and where to find them so you can get out of the weeds of your business and have trusted team members managing that day to day. So in this order, we're going to talk about how, and then we're going to talk about where you can find them and then who I think you should hire. Let's get going in a minute. We'll get started in a sec. But before we do that, let's take stock of what you have in your business to this point for you to be able to even hire, why you're able to hire. So if you haven't gone through these steps, you probably missed something. You should go back and make sure you get it dialed in. So first, you've gotten your product market fit and priced your products for a healthy margin, right? You then passed the point of getting consistent, repeatable sales, which got you to about ten to 30000 a month in revenue, and you moved it from a side hustle to a full-time business. You're doing this full-time. You built yourself a robust supply chain with a solid tech stack, right? So you got your foundation in place. And now that's led to you having a good, strong customer acquisition pipeline that converts strangers in your target market into buyers of your product, okay? You've avoided the pitfalls and distractions that come from early success when you're finally making enough to quit your job and do this thing full-time. And you're aware of and successfully dealing with the myths and negative belief systems that can stop you in your tracks. 
right? Things like perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and shiny object syndrome. If you've missed any of those steps, go back to any of the previous podcast episodes. We've got, we'll talk about those in detail, every one of these steps. Okay. And at this point, you probably have had some helpers, right? You did know you needed some help. You don't just, you, we're not talking about hiring like a VA or something in this episode. We're talking about hiring full-time, dedicated, skilled employees, right? You probably have been bringing on helpers to this point, a VA or two, someone to help with social media, someone to help with customer service, but those have been pretty much helpers, right? People to just kind of help out. You're not probably not paying them what they're worth or paying them full time, or you're paying them a little bit for a fraction of their time, right? A couple hours a week, a couple hours a day, and that's it. So we're going to be talking today about how you go from that point where you're just hiring some helpers to how you hire full-time, dedicated, they're qualified people that can go down to a major corporation and get a similar job at the pay that you're going to be paying them. This is a big undertaking, right? And so we're going to start with how. How do you hire? You got to prep. You got to be ready for it, right? And I like to say there, there's a ton of different ways. There's all kinds of different ways to find people to work in your business, but you got to be ready for it, right? They need to be walking into a structure, right? So before you hire anyone, uh, you need to make sure that structure is in place and you need to make sure that you need them, right? There's two exercises I have for you that'll help you. I call them time and accountability checks, right? First one, time check, right? What you're going to do is check your time. You're going to look at your day for at least a week, two weeks, the longer the better, but look at what you did every day. Map it out, right? Let's start what you spend your time doing. You can use an app, you can use a calendar, or even just a pen and paper. And what you want to find are activities that A, use a lot of time, right? They take up time. You just see them over and over and over again, sprinkled throughout. If you're looking at a calendar and you've looked at how you mapped out your week or a spreadsheet, you'll see blocks that just recur, they repeat. They just keep eating up your time. What are those things, right? The second thing is you don't you want things that don't require you specifically to handle them. So they may be time consuming, but they may be things that only you can do. Great example is product development. There's not many people who can come take your idea and create it. So if it's that, that's fine. That's actually what you should be doing. But if it's checking your email or if it's responding to customer service or if it's responding to issues or if it's checking in on social media, uh, these don't think, these are things that don't require you specifically to do them or sending out an email, right? Or checking your website for any particular issues or making sure you have inventory. You don't have to do that. There's anyone that can do that, right? Those are the kinds of things you're looking for. Third, you're then looking for things that take up time, things that you don't have to specifically do and that can be easily trained, right? So for example, by contrast, dealing with customer service might be difficult to get someone trained because they're going to have a lot of questions they're not sure how to answer it. But checking how much inventory you have in stock, that's really easy to train. So if you're constantly running out or if you're constantly checking, it's probably time to bring someone on, right? So these are this is what a time check will help you with, right? And so here's the standard I look for. So I'm looking for things, once you've gotten to about an hour a day for an activity, it's probably about time to start looking for a part-time person or a virtual assistant, right? You're doing it every single day. Pretty consistently, you have to check this, check that, check on this thing, right? Check your inventory, check to make sure the website's up, check to make sure that you're, you don't have any social media comments, check. If it's gotten to about an hour a day, when you're smaller, that's usually like, you know, every, one, every couple of days or so, you'll have an order pop in here and there. You don't really need someone, you don't really need to pay someone to check on that for you. But once you get to the point where like, whoa, I need to check on this every couple hours or, you know, every hour and I'm 
looking at this, I'm doing this over and over and over again. That's probably when it's time to hire a virtual assistant. Okay. And if you do your time checking, you notice, hey, either you or your virtual assistant are doing this more than five hours a day on this particular activity, because you should also do this time check with whoever you bring in to help you. You should be looking at how much time they're spending. If you're getting to about five hours a day on the task of our activity, it's probably time to look at hiring a full-time person. Okay. And that's where what today's topic is about, right? We're talking about bringing on full-time people. So first is bringing on the, the kind of the helper, the part-time type of people. You do that once you've gotten to about an hour a day where it's consistent. That's the key, right? It's consistent. And then you look at, all right, they're now doing a lot, right? Every, and by a lot, I mean about five hours a day. Okay. But you need to have this in place as important before you start hiring. So the next thing is accountability checks, right? Because even though they're spending a lot of time, uh, or you're noticing, hey, we did the time check, and you're noticing, hey, we're doing this, we're taking time doing this. You want to also do an accountability check, which means you need to do the job the way you want it to be done, right? And be clear about that, right? Do each of the jobs at least a week so you know how to do it and you fully understand it. The thing you do not want to do, please hear me on this. Do not go hire someone because, oh, crap, what am I doing? I shouldn't do this right now. I just figured, realized I have to do this thing. I should hire someone for this. Don't hire for randomness or random jobs or things that just pop up where it's not consistent yet. You do not want to hire for that. Or even better, don't hire at this stage of where your business is at. Don't hire for people to figure out a system for you. That all, almost always is very hard to do that well. For example, oh, we're doing e-commerce, but you know what? We should do retail. Let's hire someone to help us with that. Eh, eh, wrong. You need to do that job. You need to be good at it. You need to know how, most importantly, to hold yourself accountable in that job, right? What is the quality standard? How do you know if that job is being done well? Because what, without knowing that, you're bringing someone in and not able to hold them accountable or tell them how to do a good job. So it's just setting yourself up for disaster if you bring them into that type of environment without that structure in place, okay? So please do both of these checks. Do your time check to make sure that job is actually going to fill someone's time so you don't hire someone and have them finish it all up in a day and then sit there asking you, what do I do next? You know, or have nothing to do. That's the worst. Only thing worse than that is like, not having accountability checks where you don't actually know if the person is doing a good job. You're not watching because you haven't really done the job before. You don't know what it tells and what it entails. And mind you, remember, this is for this stage of growth, right? Uh, we're working our way around seven figures or so, pushing towards eight. This is the level that you're at, okay? Later on in, in the company's growth, you'll have managers and executives and those kind of folks can begin to build out departments, but you can't afford those people right now. And that's what you need to think about is if you go to find someone who's going to build out a department for you or a system for you or a channel for you, it's going to be more than you can pay, plain and simple. And do you want to put that much risk on your business and more importantly, that much pressure on that person. If you're making ten to thirty thousand a month, and you're paying this person ten thousand a month, that's a third of your revenue top line. You're going to be hurting. You're going to be really, really putting a lot of pressure on that person. They have to get results fast. It's got to work now, and that's uncomfortable for them. So, do the time and accountability checks, right? Okay. Now, once you've done those, very key. We start working on the systems for hiring right? We need to find them. We need to interview them. We need to onboard them. 
right? The primary goal of your hiring process is to find people quickly, make sure they can make, make sure you can onboard them quickly and make sure they can make a positive impact quickly, right? The whole point of it is that you want to get them trained and producing in the shortest time possible. If it takes you forever to find people, you'll miss out on candidates who are ready right now to go, right? If it takes you forever to qualify them properly, you'll be bringing people into the organization that will become a headache later on. And if you fail to onboard them and train them quickly, don't just hover around and not do anything, just wasting your time and money, okay? So those three things, these are your hiring process, right? How you find them, how you qualify and interview them, and how you onboard and train them. That should all be done in the shortest amount of time possible, the process. That's the process for bringing people on, okay? Now, by having your accountability and time checks, your time and accountability checks in place, you can be sure that these, that there are very specific things you need them to do, and you'll know how long it should take them to do it, okay? That's the whole reason I gave you that process, is you want to know exactly what they're going to do, exactly how they're going to do it, not necessarily how. Well, yeah, you want to know how they do it how to check that they did it well, right? And how to keep them accountable, what the quality standard looks, how long it's going to take them, how well they're going to do it. You know that in advance. So they're walking into a structure. Not only that, it also simplifies the hiring process, those three parts, right? Finding them, qualifying them, onboarding them, right? Because you'll be able to find people quickly, your job descriptions and their resumes, right? The tasks that you put in the job description will match things that you see in their resume. So you'll be able to sift through resumes really quickly, right? They, the resume will demonstrate that they can do it. So you won't even waste time on resumes that don't show that they have the tasks or the experience that you're, you're looking for, right? You'll be able to qualify them quickly because you'll know that the tasks that you want done, you'll be able to ask them and talk to them. You'll be able to pull out of the resume. You'll be able to have a conversation with them and see quickly, hey, Tell me an example, a time when you actually did this exact thing that I need you to do, right? Because we did the accountability checks. We know what we want done and you can listen for how well they do it. And you'll be able to train and onboard them quickly because you'll know exactly how long their tasks are supposed to take and you're, how it's supposed to look when it's done, right? You'll know what done looks like and, they, and you'll be able to communicate it to them. One of the most frustrating things when people come in to a new role is for them to walk in and you say to them, all right, it's yours now. Take some responsibility, take some ownership, get it done, fix it, make it better. Those kind of statements are very general, very broad. But imagine they come in and you're like, hey, these seven things are your responsibility. Here's what it looks like when they're done. Here's how I have done them in the past. Begin here. You can begin to improve on them, but at a minimum, I would like these things to be done every day. Let's check in. You can check in with me daily. You can check in with me weekly, whatever cadence you decide. But this is how I want this job to be done at a minimum. How much better is that? If I'm an employee walking into that, say, okay, I know what winning looks like for this company. All right, let me begin. And then the creativity can sit in. Remember we said you want a job where you where you where it takes at least five hours a day worth of work. So at least half of their time, if not more, is filled up. Because what that does is allows them, A, to learn, right? It might take them a full day at a time. It took you half a day. It might take them a full day for a couple of weeks. So you have room to not put too much on them and overwhelm them at first. And then as they get faster and faster and faster, you can begin giving them different things or they can begin pulling things off your plate, right? And that's what you should be looking for is they get faster and faster and faster. And instead of sitting around for half the day, which is a bright red flag, you should see them start to pull in for more work. Like, hey, that was done. I got it all done quick today. 
How, what else can I work on? What else do you need help with? What else? So that's the scenario you're looking for. Okay. All right. So as long as you've got that set up, your hiring process is dialed in, right? You've got your time and accountability checks done. You have your hiring process set up to find, uh, or you understand how the hiring process is supposed to be built. You need to be able to find people quickly, interview them quickly, and demonstrate, and excuse me, and onboard them quickly. Now it's time to start looking for those people, right? We've got a six-step process we like to use here. These six things help make sure as much as possible, it's not foolproof, as much as possible that the people that we're bringing in are actually going to be able to do the job well. Okay, so six of them, job descriptions first, then posting to the job boards. Then we do a pre-interview questionnaire or test, right? We actually see what they can do before we even get on the phone and invest our time in them. Third, we do a phone interview for job-specific questions. We're just talking about the tasks. That's the fourth thing. Then we do a post-interview project. And this is more for the full-time folks uh, than part-time. If they're just coming on for a contract basis or a short-term, we may not go this far. But these last two are, are crucial if you're getting someone where you're going to invest full-time, especially if you're working with a recruiter. And now you've got that uh, recruiter fee as well. You definitely want to have another interview right, and have a project. Let them demonstrate to you they can do the work. And this is something a lot of people miss. They think that just sitting there talking to somebody is going to be useful. Uh, but it's not. You need to work with them. You're going to be working with these people. Work with them before you actually are paying with them because that's the best you'll ever see them at, right? The honeymoon's always the best, right? It's all downhill from there. Um, second interview to test communication skills and, and cultural fit. So let's dive into each one, right? So first of all, the job description. This is the first part of the project. It comes straight from your time, first part of, not the project, but this is the first part of your hiring process. After you've done your time and accountability checks, it should be dramatically obvious, super clear what you're looking for. That's why all of this hinges on you doing that exercise, right? Know what tasks you're looking to get done. Your job description is written from that. You can add in some stuff about the type of person you're looking for, the type of education level you're looking for, the type of experience, add all that in. But at the at a minimum, you want to make sure you have a list of things you want them doing on a day-to-day -day basis, okay? Once you've gotten that built, you post it, right? And we're going to go into in a second where to post it. So I won't go too far into that here, but there's job boards, there's recruiters, you post those up, get it launched, okay? And what happens is you start to get a flood, a flood if you're doing job boards, especially like Indeed and all these kind of job board places or Upwork or Fiverr, you're going to get a flood of responses, people sending them to you, which is helpful, right? Because they come to you, right? Instead of you having to go out to them. Like if you were to go out to your network, you this second step, but we also reach out to our network and start asking. But you'll get people coming in uh, and then you need to start sifting through resumes. And at this point, this is where it helps to have like an applicant tracking system or a CRM or a spreadsheet or something to keep track of all that. Okay. Because you're going to need to keep, you're going to have a lot of emails coming through, right? Of people sending emails, you're going to have resumes coming through, and then you're going to have people at different stages coming through. So some of them just submitted it. Some of them you've done the interview. Some of them you haven't done the interview. Some of them put the pretest. You want to have a method that's organized to keep track of those different stages. Okay. And so the next step we we, once we post, we do the pre-interview questionnaire test. So the resumes have come in, we sift through, we decide, nah, these ones are no good. These ones are actually good. We send out a questionnaire and request to schedule the interview, right? So both are necessary. 
hey, you need to push them further down the process. That's why you put the uh, scheduling. Most people just schedule the phone interview. I don't like to do that. I want to add something to it because, again, we want to see if this person is going to work here and fit our values. And for us, we need hard workers. We don't want people who are sloppy or lazy. So add in some questionnaire. You can have job specific or some people go so far as just make it a, a test. Put hey in the subject line or put the number 17 at the end of your subject line, right? Just to make sure people are paying attention and actually reading through and catching it. And you would put that at the bottom of the email, right? Some people do that, right? But have something that gives you an indication that this person would be a good, is thorough and precise and is worth working with, right? Uh, I prefer using job specific things. So like when we're hiring media buyers, we ask them their thoughts on uh, campaign budget optimization versus ad set budget optimization, something that's somewhat technical, but also should be at the top of mind for them or easy for them to answer. Just give me your thoughts on it, right? Or ask them about something specific about a change in the industry. And then it gives you a little bit of information as they come through, right? So I usually ask eight to 10 questions. You know, that's pretty standard for me. And they're open-ended, so it's not hard. And then if they don't, we have a lot of people who just don't want to answer them. And that's fine. That's a great indicator. You really don't want to work here. Why am I going to waste my time on the phone? So that's the third step in our process. The fourth step is then we actually bring them on for a phone interview. These are 30 minutes to an hour for a full-time person. That may sound like it's a lot, but I definitely invest that time, if not more, because I'm getting ready to work with this person 40 hours a week. If I can't spend an hour on the phone with them ahead of time, then why am I even thinking of bringing them on and paying them to talk to me every day for 40 hours a week? No, thank you. Right? So the phone interview is very specific. This isn't the full-on uh, interview. This is only part one. And I'll tell them that straight up. This is a multi-part interview process. My question to them and what I'm showing them is, I just want to make sure this is even worth both of our time to move forward. That's the whole goal. I'm not looking at them to hire them. We're not, that question isn't even on the table yet. This is, should we even bring you in for the second part of the interview process, the hiring process? I'm just making sure this is worth your time. So I'm going to be asking some blunt questions, right? What are your salary expectations? And what are your schedule expectations? Those are out of the way, out the gate. Let's just admin. When can you start? Get all those admin questions done at the beginning, not at the end. People wait till the end because why waste time if their salary is twice what you're willing to pay or they're not available to start for another two months or they expect to be working night shift instead of day shift or day shift instead of night shift or they only want to work part time. If you don't know that at the front, why spend an hour talking to them <laughs> and you guys and it's not going to work out. So ask them that front up front and then pull out your accountability checklist and ask them about those things to give you times when they solved it, right? Because in the first part of the interview, you're just looking at what they said. They said it with their words. They stated it plainly, but they, but that was it. They just said they did it. Now you're wanting to prove that you actually feel comfortable. They can do the job the way it's supposed to be done. The best way to do that is not to ask them, can they do the job? Because of course they will say they can. That's the whole point of the interview. They're trying to sell themselves and tell you, because to me, talk is cheap. What I'm looking for is specific examples. And I'll ask them for two or three examples. So if they they give me one example, I'll ask follow-on questions, dig in to kind of prove, uh, I don't think you really succeeded that much. I don't think it was that good, right? Probe them, right? That's the whole point of the interview, you're testing. I don't think it really was that good of a thing, was it? And just have them, okay, you win. I, I believe it. Have them keep, keep pushing them. Then once they feel like, oh, good, they're finally done digging into me about that example, ask them for another example. Okay, that was a cool example. Uh, thanks for explaining that. Now, can you give me another example? 
maybe down here. It says you worked at this other company. Give me an example from at this company or an example that's different from that one because you want to make sure that this person coming in is going to be able to do the job. And the only way to do that is to have them give you examples because you can't work with them yet, right? So that gives you a good window. So the next part of this, this interview, once you've gotten that you feel comfortable that, yep, this is worth our time. We're in the range salary in the ballpark. Schedule expectations make sense and their availability to start makes sense. And they kind of proved, yeah, they got several examples. Yeah, I think they can do the job. Have them do the job before you hire them. Give them a post-interview project. Take one of those tasks off of there. If you need to give them view-only access to something or read-only access or have them come in and work a day, have them come in and demonstrate to you that they can do the job. Have them do it. And if you need to pay them, pay them, right? It, it makes sense to give them a little bit, pay, cover their costs, ask them how many hours it took, and uh, uh, give them a, a fair, reasonable hourly rate. Overpay if you have to, because this is one of those things. I don't mind to pay five or six people in this stage to work, because if I find one that doesn't work out, that is that is a win. It was a great investment. And if I pay five or six people and it doesn't work out, I look at that as an investment in the amount of money I would have spent paying them for 40 hours of week of poor performance. I get to pay them for four or five hours of work instead of 40 to, to 160 hours because it might take a month or two for me to really fire this person. So all day long, I'll pay them for a couple hours of work if need be. So let them demonstrate it, right? And then the second interview, you bring them back in, right? And you want this to be sight unseen. You want to see if if you, if this is a warehouse job, obviously they're going to come in, but uh, they'll need some help. That That's a little bit different, but I'm talking here primarily like the, the online type people, the social media, the, the folks that we'd be hiring to do knowledge work, right? Uh, those kind of folks. You want them to just send it back to you. Give them something that you can send. One of the uh, things that we do is we have them create an email. So all of our email marketers, most of them, when we interview them, have never used Klaviyo before, which I love to hear because if you're an email marketer worth your salt, this project should still be easy for you because we wanted you to figure it out. So we have them go create an account on their own and shoot us an email. That means that they need to be able to set up an account, obviously, on Klaviyo. They need to be able to go in and find the template section, build a campaign, find our emails, put our emails in there, obviously create an email. We give them a, a customer's website as well as a product. We'll, so they need to pull from that customer's website all the creative elements, the copy elements, build the email, as well as figure out how to set up the account and get it sent to us. So all I have to do is sit back and wait for an email to show up in my inbox. And then I start to judge the email. So I get to see both sides, how well they do the job of sending out email, which is probably all they thought they were going to do is just show us how good they are at making and sending an email. But I also get to see how did they handle figuring it out? If they can't, if I don't get an email, I already know they couldn't even figure it out. So this is not someone I can trust to be adaptable and figure things out. So I want people who can figure things out. I don't want to have to spell every little single thing out for them. So that's another one of those good tests. And then so what the interview is for, you bring them in to the interview. And now that they've succeeded at, at that project, and that's, again, the only reason you bring them in. A lot of people fall out at this stage too. So hand them their check, pay them if they need it. If they don't need it, send them on their way. They Maybe some people just don't do it. We've had creatives especially. We've had some people, hey, we want you to take this video and chop this an hour-long customer testimonial, chop it into a minute and a half video. <laughs> right? Simple. If they don't want to bother, then fine. Good luck. Goodbye. But it gives us a view that they don't fit here. But if they've done it, bring them in for an interview. And now I'm, I've am i already seen what they did. So we don't need to talk too much about it. 
I'm not evaluating them for what they did. I'm listening for how they communicate with me. That's another hour, hour and a half. Tell me how you did this. Tell me how you would do it differently. Tell me what you would change. Tell me why you chose this thing. Why did you do it that way? Why did you do it this way? And if they get exasperated or exhausted talking to you, you can tell they don't want to work with you. They don't really, sorry, maybe they don't want necessarily not want to work with you, but they definitely don't want to communicate with you the way you want to be communicated with, right? They should be excited to chat with you. They should have plenty of answers. They should feel comfortable expounding and discussing with you their own work. It's their work. If they can't communicate their work, then you're going to have trouble in the future asking them what they did for you. Hey, what'd you work on this week? Uh, you know, you want to make sure, especially because the work that you asked them, the project you asked them to do that they're communicating about, is something they're going to be doing nonstop. And I love this part of the interview because we have not had an issue where people show up for these roles when we've run through this process where people are confused when they show up for work. They come in and within a week they're producing because they're like, oh yeah, this is just like the interview you said. Yeah, you definitely did say this is what we're going to be doing. Everybody's, it's all above board. They fully understand. And we tell people there's going to be a lot more of this. Are you sure you're ready for this, right? You, you spent four or five hours doing this. That means you can get two of these a day. We're expecting you to do three or four of these every single day. If you don't like this type of work, you need to tell us right now and move on because this is literally what you're going to be doing. And once they come in and they've explained to you that, yeah, they get it, they like it. Obviously, some people still are just trying to win the job, so they'll say what they need to say to get it. But when they come in, guess what you have them do? Those exact things, right? Then there's no confusion, right? And guess what? This also doubles as training, which is the next step. Step is onboarding, right? You're onboarding. Once you decide, all right, let me hire this person, it's time to get them up to speed. Well, guess what? They've already done a project. It kind of shows them what they're going to be doing. So all you really need to do is get them set up and they can start working. So we at this point, it's password management, access to systems, right? You should have all that ready to go. You should have an introduction set up, email set up to show them your company values, your policies, your vision, mission, all that kind of stuff. You should have your initial NDAs, right? You should have your uh, co employee contracts, your contractor contracts. Get all that set up in advance, in advance right? So that when they show up, you can literally just build, budget the first half of the first day to just doing all that stuff, right? You're going to need to make sure if this is a U.S.-based employee and make sure the I-9 stuff is ready to go. Ask them for that in advance, right? Check on it. Uh, all those kinds of things, right? Get that st set stuff set up, right? And then have your SOPs if they're specifically at a, uh, a job that you've already written tasks out and SOP for from your accountability checks. Give it to them right? Don't hide it. Let them see it and go through it and understand it. Okay. And then once they've got the passwords and, and the accounts that they need, they're ready to go. And then you can introduce them to your other team members, right? You've got them onboarded. They understand what they're going to be working on. You introduce them to everyone so they know who, they, who else they can talk to, who's on their left, who's on their right working for you. Okay. And that's it. That's the process. That's how you bring people in. You should use these techniques to be absolutely sure right? Absolutely sure. Once you get through your time and accountability checks and you've got your hiring process built, you got to be absolutely, you're going to be absolutely sure that these people are going to be a fit, right? And here's one thing that's kind of counterintuitive, but I highly recommend doing this is go through this process a few times, but don't hire anyone, right? Bring someone in maybe as a contractor at best, but run them through this whole process, multiple interview process, right? Or don't hire them as a contractor at all. Go through and actually 
Do your time and accountability checks. Write a job description. Post it out to job boards. Go through and pre-interview people. Send them a pre-interview questionnaire people. Send them the, the test, right? Read through it. Get them on the phone for a job-specific question interview. Do a post-interview project with them and do a second interview, right? Especially if you're compensating them for their time, there shouldn't be any uh, uh, negative feelings about that. And then onboard them, right? Bring them in, onboard them, have your checklist, have your contracts, have all that done, and then let them go a couple of days later, right? Offboard them so that you run through that process because the thing that you need to understand is that you're not just bringing someone on to help you, right? You're training yourself, right? As much as you are hiring people. This is a skill. This is a learned skill. It is not something you just do. It's one of the myths we talked about in the last last episode or a couple episodes before we talked about myths. You can't just hire someone. It's not that easy. And that's a big red flag whenever I hear someone say that I worry for them because it's not that easy. Right? If this is your, especially if this is your first time through hiring a full-time candidate, you've got to figure out what you're doing. You have to learn. Right? You got to figure out what kind of questions to ask to get the most insightful responses, right? What types of resumes, candidates are even out there? What kind of people are out there? You're not even sure. I'm sure you're not, right? You also get, need to get used to the process, right? Depending on what talent source you use, there are quirks to each one that we'll be going over later in the episode, but you got to figure that stuff out, right? How do I get the resumes in? How do I check to make sure, wait, did we interview that guy or that guy or this person get interviewed yet? Did we finish the pre-interview questionnaire? Like you've got to so many different things to, to figure out, but we've listed them here for you. So no excuses, get them done, right? Just get it lined out and then practice it, right? I've given you the process. Uh, I can't do it with you there or do it for you. But if you do do it one time, I can guarantee you. And I promise you, you will have worked majority of the kinks out. I, I don't also want to make this seem like it's a very difficult thing. It's just something that people don't really work on because they're busy building their business, right? So take a weekend, dial all this stuff in and shoot them all out. You can do this as quickly as a weekend, right? Especially if you're using like an Upwork, right? Get all your stuff set up, put it out on Upwork, see the resumes come back, do a pre-interview test, uh, questionnaire, do the phone screen, shoot them a project, and then get them all for a second interview. By Monday, they're they're working on a project and then let them go, right? Just practice. So the main thing I want to say, uh, another thing I want to say is hire slow, fire fast. That's a mantra I've heard in the past, and it is so true. It may seem rude to interview people you're not going to hire, but it's not, right? You're training yourself, right? You're training, and they're going to appreciate it, right? And you got to think long-term, right? If you go through this process and somebody is not a good fit, you'll be bringing them into an organization that's not right for them right? So you have to have defined what is right for your organization and what the system is and make that clear in advance. Because if you don't, they're going to come in and eventually you're going to have disagreements, mismatched expectations. They'll drop the ball. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be fights. And eventually you'll have to fire them or they quit, right? You don't want to waste that time. So think of this first kind of couple run-throughs as a way of you lining out the process uh, so that you can get them better fit. And if they happen to be there the next round, like do this process twice. That's all I'm asking you to do. Run through the six steps twice and not just, and if you happen to have some people and you're like, oh, they were so good, we'll go back to them in the second round, right? All you have to do is tell them, hey, look, I'm not going to hire anyone. We're, we're, we have one more round of interviews to do and then we'll make our decision. And that's it. And they're usually okay with that. So it's not a, a bad thing, right? Uh, but you want to do this because the better you get at this, the less chance of a mistakes you make, you, you're going to make. So you don't have to worry about <clears throat> all that time you waste, right? Thinking, 
man, I wish I had a better fit. I wish this person wasn't so dramatic, not dramatic, but such, wasn't such a bad fit, right? Uh, that there was no drama, right? All that energy you have to spend uh, with someone who's not a good fit, arguing and bickering, that's time and energy that you can't get back. Not to mention, uh, you train them and now they're gone and you paid them for the pr privilege of this horrible relationship. This is not good. So please, guys, run through the process once, get your system set up, and then begin interviewing. Okay. Now, I described kind of the negatives of that of, you know, if you don't hire slowly and, and you don't run through the process and you bring people who are in bad, you end up having to fire them. That's actually not the worst case scenario. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is if they stay. This definitely happens when people are too scared to fire. Like some of you guys, as soon as I said that, were like, yeah, I've been there before because the worst thing is to bring someone on that you hired and they're just, it's just awful, but it's not quite bad enough for you to be like, you're fired and to say it, or you feel bad firing them or they're a friend of the family or there's something going on. And then things just drag on awkward and uncomfortable. That's the worst case scenario. Having someone that you walk into the office every day and you just hate working with, you just can't stand it. Okay. That's worst case scenario. You don't want to be in there. So do the work I'm telling you up front to prevent that from happening. Okay. That's the goal. <laughs> the goal of your hiring process is to find them and get them producing as quickly as possible, right? Good quality producing employees, right? A good goal time frame you should set is less than four weeks from the time you post your job to getting through the interviews, to getting through onboarding, and they're completing the task successfully on their own. Okay, that's your goal. You don't want this to drag on for months, and you also don't want to do this in a week or two, right? For a full-time employee, it should take around three to four weeks to, to work through the whole process. If you're not at this point, don't start looking or else you'll just set, up, set yourself up for pain down the road when the relationship sours. I already went through that in detail. Okay, so that's enough about the hiring process. Uh, you, you kind of got your, your feet under you there. You know what you're going to be doing. The next part is to look for it, right? Uh, it's time to discuss where can we find go to find people. There's a ton of different ways to find people and talent, and I know that can definitely make it overwhelming. So we'll go over a few here that I found to be the ones most worth your time and some of the pros and cons of each, right? There's no particular order here, right? This, to me, the sources uh, for recruiting talent are job boards, recruiters, your network, and business process outsourcing companies. That's a mouthful, right? Uh, overseas, basically. BPOs is what we call them. And outsourcing job boards like Upwork and Fiverr. Okay, first one, job boards. This is things like Indeed, right? Uh, if you're going to do a job board like that, you have to stay organized. This is great for folks who are like, look, I just want to put it out there and see what's out there because you're going to get a ton of responses back, right? Lots of resumes are going to come in because there's people out there who's just literally all day long sitting at their computer without a job, sending resumes out to 20, 30, 40, 50 different jobs. They're just blanket sending them, right? So you're going to be sifting through a lot of unqualified people who aren't even looking for the job you're submitting for. Sometimes I've had the scenario where I put it out there and I'll, someone will submit their resume and we'll reach out to them and like, oh, I, didn't even, I don't even remember submitting that one. I guess I did. Okay, so what is your company? Yeah, that's not, a, <laughs> that's not somebody you want working for you, right? Uh, or they'll, they'll remember, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you guys, are, you guys do plumbing and contracting, right? Like, no, <laughs> that's not even close to what we do. You know, so it's just way off. Like, you don't want, you don't want 
those kind of folks slipping through. So you're going to have to have a way of staying organized, right? You need a spreadsheet or you can hi literally hire someone to help you with this, right? Like a VA or a recruiter or somebody like that. And that's their job is to come in. And that's what you do with your accountability sheet for that person you hired. They literally are sifting through these resumes to determine what are the most qualified that match the accountability sheet for that role, right? Or you can use an applicant tracking system. There's some fancy applicant uh, tracking systems out there that help you track all of this or, a, or just a regular old CRM, right? So the keys to this are you can have a ton of resumes, right? You got to have the different pipeline stages set up that we talked about, the the different steps in the process, right? Where we go through a job description, uh, the posting, the pre-interview questionnaire, the phone interview, the post-interview uh, project, and then the second interview and onboarding. You want to have all those pipeline stages lined out, whether it's a uh, applicant tracking system, a CRM, or a spreadsheet. You also want to have a place for email communications, maybe a separate email address, right? You know, hiring at your company name.com, whatever it may be. But that that way you can keep track of all the emails that are coming through from candidates and, and action on them quickly. Right? And then you want a way to keep track of your notes on each person and assessment of the candidate. You don't want somebody who everyone thought was not a good fit in the first interview uh, to show up in the second interview because, oops, we forgot to tell them they're not they didn't make it through the second interview, right? Or some of the one that we really liked that we forgot to reach out because we didn't make a note or we, we didn't keep track of it properly. And they show up on the second interview like, whoa, oh yeah, there's this person. I forgot this person. <laughs> you know, they're really good. Oh my gosh. How did we, we almost miss that one, right? So you want those four things. You want a way to keep tabs on all the resumes and sift them. Uh, the different stages of your pipeline, we talked about the six, how to keep track of all those as you're moving people through, whether that's an ATM, applicant tracking system, a CRM or a VA or a spreadsheet, and a way to keep track of your email communications as well as your notes and assessment of each candidate. Okay, so that's job boards, if you like doing job boards. The second one is recruiters, right? So recruiters do almost everything I just told you, right? They do the resume, maintain the resumes. They have a, a network of people already just sitting around that they can call on. So they're fast, right? That's the difference between job boards like Indeed. It's not just but between job boards like Indeed and recruiters. It's not just that they handle the process, but they're fast. They already have people there, but they also handle the process for you. They do both. Uh, it's a fast thing. Okay. So they do submitting you resumes. They maintain the pipeline stages. They'll keep track of, hey, have you talked to this person yet? Hey, did you bring them in for first interview yet? Hey, did you do a second interview? Right. They handle a lot of the back and forth of email communications, even down to the scheduling. They'll get your calendar uh, information and they'll get the candidate's candidate calendar information and they'll coordinate a lot of that. Uh, they'll also help you keep track of notes. They'll call you after each one and say, how did that go? What are you thinking? Should we try and change our strategy. They do a lot of this stuff, but it's not cheap. Plan to spend 20 to 30% of that candidate's full year salary as a check to them in that first month, right? As soon as they place somebody with you, the clock starts ticking and you owe them 20 to 30% of that candidate's salary. It's not cheap at all. So you've got to really think through, do you want to, how fast do you want someone in? Do you need someone in that quickly? Now, I do, I do recommend using them once or twice just to get a feel for the process. A lot of these folks are, a lot of these folks have a really good process. So it could help speed up your learning curve, especially if you're having trouble with like Indeed or any of these other solutions. 
finding good candidates. Maybe your process is broken. So use a recruiter, use two or three. A lot of these are contingent recruiters. So you can have two or three working on the same job at the same time and just see what their process is like, how they send out notes for uh, information from candidates, how they keep track of email communications. Some have CRMs and applicant tracking systems set up. It's really good insights and you can even talk to them. Uh, and so it might be worth it for one or two roles, right? And that's it. Uh, but you're going to be paying a lot, right? So $15,000 per placement is not unheard of, right? 17000 20000 right? For somebody that's, you know, $100,000 a year salary, it's 20000 to $30,000. You got to cut a check for that first month they're working for you separately from the 10000 or 8000 or so you're paying the candidate themselves. It's not cheap. So be very careful there, but it might be worth it. One thing that I've heard is once you've gotten to, you know, and let's say you decided to work with a cruise and you're like, I really like this. They're fast. They handle everything. Cause that's true, right? Like it might be expensive, but again, they're not managing, sifting through tons of resumes or not making sure people are going through the pipeline, keeping track of notes. You don't have to do any of that when you hire that person. So it may be worth it to you, your time more so than your money. So go ahead and go for it in that case. Now, if you're doing a bunch of these, what I've heard is, you know, three or four times, if you do three or four in a year and you're spending thirty-five, dollars $50,000 a year, you may as well go on and just hire your own recruiter in-house full-time, do an accountability sheet, this pipeline, uh, the, the recruiting pipeline, time and accountability check, how much time you're spending on each of these, and just hot, go out and actually hire your own recruiter who can help you do the work of recruiting like a recruiter would do you know, and maybe even start building a network uh, of people so that in the future, when you need to hire you, they'll already have a bunch of resumes on file, just like a recruiter would do. So something to think about. All right. The third place uh, is your network, right? Ping your network. This is a quick and easy one. I haven't found that this yields the most volume of qualified candidates. And I hesitate with it because there's always that personal relationship. So, cause, so sometimes you may end up not wanting to fire the person or work them through the process as robust and technically as you would someone who's a stranger. So I hesitate with that a little bit, but the flip side is also true. There may be a perfect candidate just in your network, send out email to your email list, your social media channels, your LinkedIn. There may be somebody perfect out there and they already know you. And so there's a potential tie in there. So they may work out better. So try that too, but definitely work them through the process. Fourth one is business process outsourcing companies. These are companies that are similar to outsourcing job boards like Upwork and Fiverr, where you reach out to uh, uh, them and they go out and they basically are like recruiters just in that environment, right? In whether it's in the Philippines or it's in India or or Canada or Mexico or any of these places that are out overseas, right? Their business process, they're basically are handling the recruiting the pipeline, the interviewing, and the management a lot of times. Even sometimes we'll give them a, they'll house them in an office building that they use and give them a computer and direct internet and manage them to where they make sure they show up to work on time and, and invoice you for their payments. They handle all that for them, right? This is, you know, another option. I've used this extensively. I love it because it's like recruiters, except the cost is way, way down, right? So you're paying a fraction of what you would pay US-based recruiters and uh, U.S.-based employees, which is the whole point, right? The whole idea is business process outsourcing. The risk to this, though, is it's a very different culture. Communication is going to be different. The way of working is going to be different. Security is an issue because now you're exposing your business to overseas folks who the rules and regulations aren't there. You may not have any recourse, 
right? Or be able to do anything if they do something wrong in your business, you know, mistakes, or if they just make mistakes, right? Like who knows what, what, what could happen, what could go wrong, right? And then there's also the time differences, right? So there's a lot of downsides as much as there are upsides, right? So you got to be careful with this one. But again, this one is of, of all of them, probably one of my favorites though, because it's the benefit of the recruiting uh, having recruiters without the cost of the recruiters. So you can test a lot faster. So you can bring people in, try them out. If they don't work, switch them out for someone else. And someone else, the recruiter is managing the churn for you and bringing you more folks to interview. So that's another one. But again, you are going to have a lot more churn. You're going to spend as much time interviewing and training probably as you would, you know, dealing, you know, the cost is the cost there. You know, if you're constantly interviewing and training. Last one's outsourcing job boards. So you can basically have the benefit of the overseas without the recruiter, right? So this is just simply uh, overseas and probably you can probably find lower cost labor for certain roles, especially for the BPOs and these outsourcing job boards like Upwork and Fiverr. Really, you're not looking for, you know, high, high highly skilled talent, right? Like someone to help you build a nuclear reactor, right? That's probably not where you're going to find them. However, if you have jobs that are repetitive and consistent, which again, right, are time and accountability checks, that's what it should be. This is a great place to go, right? You're looking for someone who can all day long just check in and do stuff that is consistent and repeatable. And maybe you only need them five hours, maybe they grow to 10. This is a great place to find folks that are doing repeatable, consistent, clearly defined work go on to one of those job boards and they, you can get them on fast and there's usually a bunch of them. You can have backups on backups, right? So that's the fifth one. I recommend you try all five, right? The job boards like Indeed, recruiters, your network, BPOs and outsourcing job boards like Upwork and Fiverr, even if you don't need people right now, right? I say that because this is just not the kind of thing you want to figure out when you actually need them, when you're overwhelmed and you're swamped and all day long, you're spending the entire day fixing problems that could have been fixed if you had just been consistently working on this, right? That builds up, right? Try them out, especially the outsourcing networks, right? Upwork and Fiverr, right? Just get accounts set up, put out a couple of $5 jobs or one-time contracts uh, and test it out, right? But work through your process, your six-step process diligently, right? Make sure you're out there uh, with the accountability, time and accountability check, that you've got your job description built, that you're sending it out and you're sifting through the resumes properly, that you have a way to qualify them, that you're doing your phone interviews. Work the process cheaply where there's low risk and low pressure. You don't have time pressure. That way you get a feel for each of those steps of the process. And you know that when the time comes, you'll be able to get up and running quickly. Okay. Remember our goal for this hiring process is that it takes four weeks from posting to productive employee. You don't want to spend that four weeks just figuring out the job boards, how to manage tons of responses on Fiverr and Upwork to do your job boards. Do all that in advance, right? Get it all solved before you really need to. Okay, we're going to close this, start closing this episode up, uh, but I definitely want to talk about one other thing besides just how to build a hiring process and where to find people. I want to kind of give you some more specifics, right? We've talked about how to hire, where to find people, and I've given you a strategy that works that's in general, right? How to get ready and be ready for, in general, who to work with and who to hire. That's your time checks and accountability checks. That can work for any business, any industry, at any time to help you determine who to hire. But everyone listening to this podcast, or at least my assumption is uh, folks listening to this podcast, we're pretty similar, right? We're bootstrapped e-commerce entrepreneurs, right? Who are building our own supply chain and building our own customer acquisition en 
engine. So I can give you more specifics than just the general time and accountability checks. I'm going to give you my highly opinionated, I should stress that, highly opinionated list of recommendations of who to hire, right? So I think these are just in standard, a standard, like you probably can get away with just hiring these folks as you go. Uh, and you won't, you won't go wrong, right? As long as you have the work for them, that's the key. As long as the work is there, you'll probably be able to spot when you do your accountability check, your time check, that you're spending a lot of time in these specific areas. So this is where to go. This could be kind of a shortcut for you to build your hiring plan, right? Once you've done your time and ability check, these are the folks I recommend, right? These eight things. And I would highly recommend them in this specific order because it's probably what is going to be taking up the most of your time. First and foremost is accounting right? Or cash flow management, right? Making sure you have money in the bank and that your bills are getting paid and that uh, you're making, you have money, your bills are getting paid and that you have inventory, accounting or slash bookkeeping, right? What you would say, that's another way to look at it or just basically someone to keep track of the books. That's going to eat up a lot of your time in the beginning. You probably don't need to be the only one doing it, right? And it's not hard. You just need someone to keep track of a spreadsheet, right? Or get you QuickBooks if you really feel like going down that rabbit hole. Oof. But Someone to keep track to make sure that your bank account doesn't go negative. Okay, that's the goal. Step one. Then the second one is shipping and fulfillment, right? Someone to do the orders, right? You don't have to do the orders. That's not just you. Like get that off your plate as soon as possible. It does not build the business. It helps execute. Like don't get me wrong, it's crucial. But again, go through that interview process like we talked about to get the best qualified people. But that's something you can quickly take off your plate. The next one's customer service. Obviously, I didn't put that right away because we talked about it in the early episodes. This is how you determine and maintain product market fit. However, at some point, once you've got product market fit and you're scaling up, it becomes a drag on your energy, right? And you've got to manage your energy to make sure that you're in tip-top shape to be able to do the things that only you can do, the product development, building off of the insights, right? Because not everything that comes into customer service is helping you with product market fit. A lot of times it's just the repetitive, where's my order? Where's my stuff, right? 60% of the questions we get in e-commerce are the same, not just the same in your company, but across all of us, right? They're order-related questions, product-related questions, and brand-related questions, right? How do I order? Uh, where's my stuff? Order-related questions, product-related questions. Is this thing going to work? Brand-related questions. Are you guys real? Are you guys legit? Those kind of questions, they're the same. Have somebody else handle all those kinds of things. Okay, that's the third one. Fourth one, social media and email marketing, right? You have to get your back-end sales dialed in. You've got to be able to get repeat purchases and make sure your brand is visible. But you don't have to do it all, right? So this is another position where as soon as you can, as soon as you are starting to get this going, uh, you should have built the process already like we talked about in the customer acquisition pipeline. But you can outsource this. Bring someone in part-time, move them into full-time, and give them specifics on exactly how you do this process. Then once you've got social media and email going out there and it's dialed in and you've got someone doing customer service, shipping and accounting, uh, you've got all your supply chain and, and customer acquisition positions set up, the next role to look at is a creative person, right? All of your creative channel, all of your channels, marketing channels will need creative, right? So you can bring on a part-time designer, a part-time videographer, someone to help your social media person create it. And again, maybe this, you might get lucky and the social media, email and creative person may be the same person. And in that case, great. Uh, you can use that person to help you, but at some point you're going to need to increase them. But that's, these roles are ones that should be delegated as quick as possible to get them off of your plate. Okay. Then move on to a paid ads person right? That's what I recommend next because once you've got your 
supply chain dialed in and you're not the bottleneck and you're not running everything and managing the day-to-day. You can move on to the marketing side of things and you make sure you're squeezing out every dollar you can from your audience and your customers and you're selling to them and someone else is managing that to make sure you're getting the most out of it. Then it's time to scale your business. At this point is usually when most folks start looking at hiring a paid ads person, right? Or an agency to come in and run it. Okay. And at that point, once you've done that and you've got all supply chain and customer acquisition, now you're going to need to make sure you can feed this machine, right? You don't want to run out of inventory. So at this point, Folks will look at hiring an inventory manager or product sourcing type of person who can just literally keep track of, do we have the inventory? Are we going to run out? How many days of coverage do we have? All that kind of stuff. And this could also be the person you hired to do your accounting and bookkeeping. Sometimes it's that person. You just give them that responsibility. But this is the order. I recommend these roles in this order, right? (laughs) And please, please, please keep in mind that this list of roles is meant to delegate and outsource. Uh, obviously it doesn't replace doing the time checks and accountability checks because you'll have some specifics to your situation, but hopefully this gives you a bit of a head start in terms of building your hiring plan and a list of positions that you may have overlooked as you start hiring, right? It's a list that I've built. I mean, honestly, like you don't have to listen to me. You can (laughs) do whatever you want, but I just want to give you something that I've seen across 50 different e-commerce businesses that we've worked with. They just, these are Positions just tend to get handed off, right? Not no founders, not many founders are doing any of these seven things when they come by the time they come to work with us. They've built a team of they've hired some folks or put these in someone else's uh, responsibilities because they're just day-to-day management things that don't require the founder specifically to be doing them. Okay. So as you're doing your time and accountability checks to build your hiring plan, you can feel comfortable that you can let these go. Don't, don't hang on to these, right? Like the, there's some people, the founders that do do this and they come to us, we, we usually tell them, Hey, it's time to let that go. You know, it's usually because they don't want to let go, you know, so don't let that be you, uh, let it go and move on to the higher level things that are required so that you can get out of the day to day and work on your business instead of always working in your business, you know, running on that hamster wheel day to day. So thank you for listening. That's it. Subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. If you know of any other e-commerce businesses trying to go from six to seven figures a year in revenue, share this show with them. Visit our website, www.aleasystems.com, and sign up for our newsletter. As a thank you for signing up for our newsletter, you'll immediately get access to our Clavio email marketing resource kit. A must if you're selling online to make sure you're getting the most revenue you can from back-end sales and not having to constantly scale through paid acquisition. I'm Emmanuel Alea. We'll see you on the next episode.